takes the snap, takes the handoff to Smith, rolling to his right, still looking for a receiver, breaks the tackle and he's got a seam, down the sideline, touchdown Michigan! Gardner takes the shotgun snap, looks to his right and connects, reaching for the end zone, touchdown Michigan, Amara Darba. Gardner makes the handoff to Smith, looking, firing, Jake Buck, one-handed catch, he caught it, unbelievable catch. This is war to extermination. Fight cell by cell through bodies and mind screens of the earth. Souls rotten from the orgasm drug. Flesh shuddering from the ovens. Prisoners of the earth come out. Storm the studio. Burnt metal smell of interplanetary war in the raw noon streets, swept by screaming glass blizzards of enemy flak. Lingwalls, free doorways, cut word lines, photo falling, word falling, breakthrough in gray room, towers, open fire. Citizen, you are listening to WCBN-FM in Ann Arbor. Guilt, blast, bound, stab, strap, kill. Pilot K-9, you are cut off, back, return to base immediately. Ride, music beam, back to base. Stay out of that time, Flack. All pilots, ride pan pipes back to base. Well, uh, good evening, and welcome to another edition of Gray Matters, the weekly news and media talk show. My name is Dick Whaley. And I'm Jim Dwyer. And <laughs> watch out for blowing branches. It's kind of windy out there. Rainy. Yeah, it'll be gusty all night. And uh, there are numerous changes in traffic due to construction season here in Ann Arbor, so avoid Miller. That's my advice. Outbound and Liberty. <laughs> yeah, and Liberty. <laughs> of course, God knows how long Thompson Street will be closed between Packard and uh, Jefferson. Why they would do both of those at the same time is beyond me. But... Whoever is in charge of the road repair system in the city of Ann Arbor is not on the ball sometimes. Well, while we're kind of on the subject, a quick brain damage award to the people who are responsible for the uh, big scoreboards at the U of M football stadium. God knows how much energy they consume. They're fantastically luminescent. They're great screens. They cost a lot of money, and they serve the audiences there well. But uh, lately, there's been a situation where they're on all night for no reason with an empty stadium. It's a big annoyance to uh, people who live in the area. I've got a friend who lives nearby, and I don't know why they're wasting all this electricity uh, having these things fully lit up in the middle of the night. So somebody at the athletic department needs to snap out of it and turn the switch off well maybe they're testing 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 <laughs> yeah. well the screens are 62 feet tall 108 feet wide it's basically like two house fires yeah at each ends of the uh of the field there so for folks in the neighborhood uh of course they knew it was there when they moved there but uh this is a little wasteful 
Well, anyway, speaking of wasteful, of uh, sort of a week of uh, interesting uh, juxtapositions of crime and punishment. Maybe Boy, I'll that's put for it, sure. I'll put it that way. Uh, we have the uh, private corporation Blackwater, recipients of well over a billion dollars in federal contracts as it related to security in the invaded country of Iraq, four of their so-called independent contractors were convicted of uh, murdering civilians. By the way, this term independent contractor is a sort of a new speak yeah. for mercenary. Yeah. <laughs> Hessian. Yeah, Hessian in American history, right. We may as well <clears throat> keep it all German at this point and speak <laughs> of Huns and Hessians, if not doppelgangers and tomp cops. But, uh, yeah, Eric Prince, uh, CEO of uh, <clears throat> Blackwater, was one of George Bush's, uh, let's just put it this way, he was one of the biggest campaign donors to George Bush, so there might be a linkage there. Anyway, uh, this trial was originally supposed to be held in Iraq. Uh, we moved it to America pretty much to prevent uh, the death penalty from being applied. And I just found it interesting. Of course, one of the contractors was sentenced to life in prison, and others received uh, stiff penalties of 30 years. But it's interesting to compare that to what the Atlanta teachers got uh, for changing test answers down in the Atlanta school system, in which uh, the goals were to fudge uh, statistics as it related to no child left behind law that's being debated in Congress currently. Well, and funding uh, allowances for schools that test poorly. Yeah, some will be closed. Blah blah blah. That's education policy developed by George W. Bush and independent corporations who own these tests. And of course, there are other problems with uh, changing test scores, and that some kids are promoted to the next grade when they should be uh, staying in the grade they're in or going back a grade. But uh, some of these teachers got 20 years. <laughs> uh, kind of a remarkable juxtaposition. Then, of course, there is the passing away of A. Alfred Taubman. Uh, I mention him because he is uh, well known as the second largest donor to the University of Michigan in its history. I've heard $150 million. I've heard $160 million. Uh, but he has generously given away a lot, of his, a lot of his money to the University of Michigan healthcare system. He did attend the University of Michigan at one point and did not graduate. Fascinating life, born in Detroit, and one of the preeminent developers of malls in America. Uh, this is how he became a billionaire. But it's interesting that he was wrapped up in a art auction scandal in uh, 2001. Uh, he bought uh, Christie's. Famous Let's auction house. See if I can keep this straight. Did he buy Christie's or did he buy uh, Sotheby's? But anyway, he was eventually charged with uh, price fixing. As he put it, uh, we want to... Uh, Give our, uh, we want to buy cheap and sell dear, as they say, in basic capitalism. And it's interesting that he, uh, at one point, purchased the A.W. 
A&W Root Beer Corporation <laughs> and was quoted as saying in his obituary, people don't need root beer and they don't need to buy painting either. We provide them a sense that it will give them a happier experience. Well, isn't this what, uh, what's the great, uh, why am I spacing out his name, the uh, Sage of Omaha? What's his name, the big investment guy? Oh, Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett. I mean, his big holdings are in things like soda pops and yeah. ketchup and, and ice cream. McDonald's. Things that people buy because it makes them feel good. Things that are fun and happy and that you spend on, oh, I'm going to get an ice cream cone. What's it going to hurt? And he's a big advocate of a concept called brand identity, but we will skip the economics today and talk a little bit about Alfred A. Alfred Taubman. It's interesting that he was born Adolf Alfred Taubman. In a different era. <laughs> in a different era, but he was born before Hitler came to power, so it's quite uh, understandable why he dropped the Adolf. Well, his stamp is all over the city of Detroit as well, yeah. obviously. Architecturally, uh, the Detroit Institute of Arts, any number of... Uh, Public expenditures, and I'm, isn't that what the fabulously wealthy are supposed to do? Isn't there some a degree to which they are uh, held by honor, if nothing else, uh, maybe a sense of dignity to uh, kick a little back to the uh, culture and society that have made them so wealthy? Which he did, and that's why he deserves exactly. credit, and that's why we honor him uh, this evening to some degree. His obituary in the Sunday New York Times is fascinating, <coughs> in my opinion, written by Robert D. McFadden, because it is a perfect, uh, oh, you know, two-page, two pages of prose kind of description of uh, the vicissitudes of American capitalism, the ins and outs. By the way, he did buy Sotheby's. And uh, the uh, commission price-fixing scandal with arch-rival Christie's. Uh, and he did die in the state of Michigan, by the way, Bloomfield Hills. At the age of 91, he held property all over the globe. Gave away uh, literally hundreds of millions of dollars. But it's interesting that he went to prison for this price-fixing that... Uh, I'll just read this quote. The scandal exposed the seamy underside of a $4 billion a year business that traded on upper class images and English roots dating back to the founding of Sotheby's in 1744 and Christie's in 1766. And it spelled disgrace, I'm quoting here from Robert D. McFadden, for Mr. Taubman, who owned an archipelago of upscale malls and department stores and created uh, university research centers, libraries, healthcare facilities with his philanthropy. Sir Anthony, which was the British man, was also indicted, though under English law he could not be extradited from London and never stood trial. Mr. Taubman went to prison for nine years. Uh, nine and a half, uh, excuse me, nine and a half months and was fined seven point five million dollars. In addition, Sotheby's pleaded guilty to price fixing, paid a $45 million fine, and settled a civil suit by aggrieved clients for $256 million. To avoid further liability, Mr. Taubman also paid $156 million of civil costs plus $30 million to stockholders in a lawsuit. Fascinating. This guy paid more dearly than the bankers on Wall Street. Yeah. 
And, of course, his uh, quote when he got out of prison was that uh, his good name had been tarnished and he had lost 27 pounds. And everybody that knew him said that he had uh, changed his uh, sort of coarse, uh, domineering ways and was a pleasure to be around thereafter. So I regret having a humbling never, experience. <laughs> never met the man. Uh, it would have been wonderful to have a beer with him and uh, talk about the vicissitudes of capitalism. But he made a fortune. And it's fascinating in the, in the actual obituary about the description of the decline of Detroit as a result of the mall. Mm. How it forced... The mall didn't force people to move to the suburbs. What Taubman did was he rode the suburban flight in the post-war era provided malls that are described as uh, they were designed with skylights, waterfalls, and leafy interiors and wide store entranceways to overcome what he called threshold resistance. <laughs> so anyway, I recommend this obituary for a number of reasons. It's a fascinating description of a man who um, was a college dropout in two different colleges, Suffered from dyslexia. His family was ruined by the Great Depression. He made billions, and he bought some land out in uh, Orange County, California, $177 million acres of oceanfront estate. Resold it six years later for a billion dollars, and he earned $100 million and called it the best deal since the Louisiana Purchase. <laughs> So fascinating details in this obituary. So I highly recommend uh, looking that one up. Uh, one of Southeast Michigan's most eminent citizens. I think I can say that for good and bad. Indeed. And I think he uh, was punished a little too severely for the price fixing at art auction houses, which are undoubtedly and have undoubtedly been involved in price fixing since... Uh, 1744 and 1766, <laughs> respectfully. Art, oh, is, maybe once or twice. art is one of those uh, questionable priced assets to begin with. But luckily, uh, many of our greatest criminals, uh, who was the famous French author that said behind every fortune there's undoubtedly a crime? I think it might have been Balzac. That sounds, yeah. I'm, or I'm, Zola, perhaps. Yeah, I think it might have been Balzac, but I, I think there is something interesting about the philanthropists that give it all away, or a lot of it away, because he certainly didn't give it all away. Uh, but it's a credit to his uh, good name that uh, he did give the University of Michigan Health System well over $100 million to finance research in all sorts of uh, diseases, uh, health care issues, and hence the front of the University of Michigan Hospital is called the Taubman Center. Yeah, well, just sort of as an interesting tangent, the fascinating the psychology of malls and that he was able to anticipate this socioeconomic trend yeah. of, of the flight to the suburbs, of course, compounded by the riots, uh, riots in Detroit, but just the psychology of malls and what they say about American consumer desires and habits is... Uh, a fascinating subject, uh, no doubt, for a number of monographs. 
Yeah, and it's funny. I've had several girlfriends over my lifetime where I've said, well, I, I don't uh, enjoy shopping at all as a, as a sort of an experience. Yes, I'll go to the supermarket and buy green beans and bok choy, radishes, and beets. I like to look over the produce myself. I don't want <laughs> some gumshoe that <laughs> was not uh, hired by J. Edgar Hoover uh, looking over my beets. But uh, I will not do malls. <laughs> Never have, never will. I don't like them. Uh, I'm one of those people that uh, says, uh, if I get near a mall, get me to a hospital. <laughs> well, if I end up in a mall, uh, it's as a last resort, and I'm so horrified of being seen there <laughs> that I just quickly dart from place to place and like, ah, let's get out of here. Jim is the man out. wearing the paper bag over his head. <laughs> well, I just did uh, hear to the old William S. Burroughs uh, uh, adage that uh, the best way to be invisible is to see them before they see you. <laughs> but it's fascinating to me that malls are now so, sort of making a decline. Uh, in fact, there was a famous uh, Detroit mall, I forget which one, that uh, declared bankruptcy a couple of uh, months ago and is up for sale and is uh, supposedly going to be dismantled. Well, it's partly meant to replace the urban center, the yeah. downtown area, exactly. and this combination of... It's a wooded grove. There's trees inside, and it's a series of storefronts like an old village square. I mean, that's the success of the mall, psychologically speaking. But uh, It's fascinating post-war 20th century architectural American consumer schmaltz. Yeah, it's, it's beautiful uh, stuff. There's something about it. Uh, it's also interesting that many seniors go to malls to uh, Mall ex walking. exercise because they feel safe. Uh, there it's are year-round, well can, lit. Yeah, they're heated. They're air conditioned yeah. in the in the summer. And of course, uh, what would where would high school students be without the mall That's these days? Right. I don't know. <laughs> I'll just mention this: I've been handed a bulletin from uh, our producer Andrew, who says that uh, Don says he's seen a quote, things to do before graduation list that included break into the big house and maybe those lights are on for security. Well, if that's so, they're about 10,000 watts in excess of what you'd need for basic security. Um, I suppose that is one potential uh, idea. Students, of course, no longer able to participate in the Naked Mile due to the state's insistence that You'll be on the sex offenders list if you're photographed at that, although the idea of photographing people at a Naked Mile seems like that's the sex offender aspect as well. Of course, the Naked Mile's kind of been over and done for a while, but oh, those wacky college students in yeah. there, what will we do for a prank this year? And beware of the 50-yard line. Don't uh, go over to the 50-yard line to perform any hoochie-coochie. <laughs> you're likely to be caught on candid camera and end up on... YouTube, Facebook, and God, et cetera, Syrian, et cetera. a Syrian ISIS <laughs> recruitment video. <laughs> Beware yeah. of the 50-yard line. And who knows, maybe there's a sniper up there in the big house, too. Uh, that might be cheaper than turning all those lights on, just hire a sniper. Um, yeah, that ISIS video uh, that has emerged again. Uh, the headline in the New York Times uh, uses just this abstract language that I find annoying and offensive. This headline is Islamic State Video Appears to Show Executions of Christians in Libya. Well, 
Not sure really what they mean by appears to show. Does it claim to show or purport to show? Or does it just show? Now, of course, movies are pretend, so these could just be any kind of hostages. They don't need to be, quote-unquote, Ethiopian Christians to be unfortunate extras slash victims in these uh, terror videos uh, that... When you think about it, as despicable and horrible as they are, are probably not a whole lot worse than, oh, say, the Saw movies. So I think as despicable as these recruitment videos are, I think we've probably seen worse, although admittedly in pretend form. Well, I don't know why. Yeah, the video concept of re using them to recruit people is bizarre in and of itself. I, I just don't get the... <laughs> The psychology of it. I mean, they're appealing to the psychopath, apparently. Yeah, uh, clearly. Even, I mean, even a teenager is, can they be that dumb, that naive? And of course, no, even video a, gamers know the difference. Yeah. Between. There's been a rash of arrests made both here uh, in America and in Europe. Uh, you know, teenagers about to leave for Syria to join ISIS by way of the Turkish Syrian border, by the way. Which, if you look on a map, is an incredibly long border. <laughs> um, I don't know what Ted Cruz thinks about the Syrian-Turkish border, but I haven't heard any uh, opinions from him. Well, the fact the that campaign. this recent ISIS video is linked to events and activities in Libya show that this is just another rousing success aspect of uh, W's attempts to remake the Middle East. Well, even Afghanistan, and some of the claims, I think, are starting to, to seem a little far-fetched to me. There are plenty of other uh, ragtag terrorist groups scattered all over the region, uh, you know, from pretty much Mauritania to Indonesia down to Kenya. And All they have to do is say ISIS, and you assume they're linked. They may not be. Right. They might not be, and claims that ISIS is behind this or even inspired it, I think, is a little... Um, ridiculous because most of these other ragtag groups, and there are plenty of them, existed before ISIS, and I doubt they take their marching orders from ISIS or are really involved with ISIS in any way, shape, or form. ISIS, of course, is a little bit on the run in Iraq, and uh, obviously the complicated aspects of the use of Shiite militias uh, backed by Iran to defeat ISIS uh, the Iranian Shiite militias are allied with the Iraqi government demonstrate that, yeah, the folly of the whole overthrow of Saddam Hussein. Uh, Brent Scowcroft asked the question well before uh, the vote was rammed through Congress by Bush and uh, Karl Rove and other political operatives that took advantage of the, uh, the whole uh, fear and propaganda uh, following 9-11 for the 2002 mm -hmm. congressional elections to get this uh, misguided uh, measure through Congress. Uh, you can argue, I think, fairly persuasively that the Iraq war was pretty much a Republican war uh, since there were scarcely any, no Republican votes in the entire Congress. And two-thirds of the House of Representatives on the Democratic side did vote no on the resolution, half of the Senate. This, of course, is one of Hillary Clinton's um, bad votes on her uh, career, but uh, she may be, uh, it may be overlooked at this point because I haven't actually heard any of the Republican candidates other than Rand Paul 
uh, even admit that the Iraq war was a blunder, if not a war crime, and has been one of the most misguided things. But Brent Scowcroft asked, what are we going to do when the Shiites win? That question was never answered. Or even really fully contemplated, yeah. I suspect. And it did appear in a, in a Wall Street Journal editorial in August that uh, was raised by war critics at the time as an example of why uh, this would be uh, a disaster. It's been a disaster, and it's been a disaster for a number of reasons. The cost to the American taxpayers is extraordinary. It's in the trillions of dollars and continues. Post-traumatic stress system syndrome and all of these sorts of related um, effects of war um, are still with us and will be for quite some time. And we're probably uh, left empty-handed at the end of the day anyway as far as uh, military, tactical, strategic gains that were promised from such an enterprise. Uh, certainly the United States has lost a lot of respect in the region and influence. Uh, the Chinese president heading to Pakistan, spending like a drunken sailor, trying to uh, bring Pakistan into the Chinese fold. Of course, China is concerned about the uh, East Turkestan Islamic movement, which is founded by Uyghurs, a Turkic-speaking mm -hmm. uh, sub-ethnic uh, contingent of China's northwestern frontier province. Uh, so they at least have a practical reason for you know, making nice with Pakistan, spending billions of dollars for roads. They're neighbors. It's a yeah. regional concern. And they've always been allied with them uh, with respect to the India-Pakistan rivalry. Uh, if there's one good development that has occurred in the last several years, I would say that the Pakistan-India situation has assuaged a bit. Mm -hmm. It seems like relations have somewhat improved, though obviously in Kashmir, a disputed territory, uh, this is not the case. But I don't think that India and Pakistan are as fierce a rival uh, as they once were. In fact, Pakistan's main problems are now with Afghanistan. Exactly. And the problem with the infamous British imperialist line called the Durand Line, drawn in 1893 to divide the Pashtun people. Um, this has been a you know one of these strange weeks of a lot of unfortunate anniversaries you know today was the boston marathon of course did, oklahoma city bombing. oklahoma city columbine the start of the revolutionary war the end of the civil war etc etc did want to mention of course this was the sesquicentennial and we never know what that is because we can't even pronounce the name of the assassination of abraham lincoln and abraham lincoln i'm going to quote just a brief paragraph from a very interesting book President Lincoln assassinated the firsthand story of the murder manhunt trial and mourning compiled by Herod Holzer. Uh, this is a, uh, if you're a Lincolnophile, uh, you may want to own this book. This has got some outstanding homages to Abraham Lincoln and why our country mourned his death so profoundly are these primary sources of people primary sources there are there are literary odes there's ralph waldo emerson there's john leaf john greenleaf whittier walt whitman uh famous poets and and whatnot but from the funeral oration the funeral uh address i just wanted to read a brief thing in our remaining uh minutes here about mr lincoln 
because I have no doubt uh, in at some level that if there is a God, thank God he delivered Abraham Lincoln to the presidency of the United States in 1860. Matthew Simpson delivered an eulogy in Springfield, Illinois, and he said, and I'm just going to quote a couple of things here, Mr. Lincoln was no ordinary man. I believe the conviction has been growing on the nation's mind, as it certainly has been on my own, especially in the last years of his administration, that by the hand of God, he was especially singled out to guide our government in these troubled times. And it seems to me that the hand of God may be traced in many of the events connected with his history. First, I recognize this is the physical education that he received that, and which prepared him for an enduring Herculean labors. In the toils of his boyhood and the labors of his manhood, God was giving him an iron frame. Next to this was his identification with the heart of the great people understanding feelings because he was one of them and he connected with them in their moments and life. His education was simple. A few months spent in a schoolhouse gave him the elements of education. He read few books, but he mastered all. He read Pilgrim's Progress, Aesop's Fables, The Life of Washington were his favorites. In these we recognize the works which gave the bias to his character and which partly molded his style. His early life with varied struggles joined him indissolubly to the working masses and no elevation in society diminished his respect for the sons of toil. He knew what it was to fell the tall trees of the forest and to stem the current of the broad Mississippi. His home was the growing west the heart of the republic, and invigorated by the wind which swept over the prairies. He learned lessons of self-reliance which sustained him in seasons of adversity. His genius was soon recognized as true genius will always be, and he was placed in the legislature of his state. As early as 1839, he had presented a resolution to the legislature asking for the emancipation of the District of Columbia, is still has not, not happened. yet happened. Has not happened. And but uh, when rare exceptions, the whole popular mind of his estate was opposed to the measure. From that hour, he was steady and uniform friend of humanity and was preparing for the conflict of later years. Abraham Lincoln, second inaugural address, one of the greatest speeches in the Eng English language. Absence of malice, what is it? No absence of uh, malice, charity to all. Thanks to Andrew for engineering this evening. Do stay tuned, Yazoo City Calling, coming up next on this fine station. This is Hilla Bean. And you're listening to WCBN-FM. And... Arbor. 88.3. Bingo. Psst. Yeah, you. It's me. Your heart. Listen to me. We've got to talk. High blood pressure is serious. And yours? Whoa. What happened to us? We used to be so much more active. 
but lately you've been ignoring me. I know you think I'm just going to keep ticking away forever, but you're wrong. You can do so much more to control your high blood pressure. Doing the minimum isn't doing enough. I'm under a lot of pressure and can quit whenever I want. Bet you didn't know that. But I like my job. Just treat me better. Check on me. Give me something green to nibble on every once in a while. And maybe we can do some exercise on occasion. Let's get to 